Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. Transformation Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, where we are all about real food, straight talk, and the pleasures of the table. Today's episode features an interview that I did with Craig Lane of Health Alchemy. But before we get into that, I have a few items to discuss. So, number one, I want to thank Michael Sisley for his five-star Amazon review. Michael, thank you so much. He is out of North Carolina, y'all. I did not know him before writing my book, but he bought a personal copy as well as a number of other copies for his psychotherapy practice. So that just means so much to me. So here is what Michael has to say like she is sitting down with you and sharing her story. On one hand, she covers a lot in this small book, yet it is packed with her experience and wisdom along with a good bit of knowledge she has accumulated along the way. There's enough science without it being too scientific. There's a good practical considerations. And what I particularly like is that it is, as the title says, a mindset. How you think about food and food products and exploring your relationship with food and food products. I like the idea of a mindset or a lifestyle rather than a diet. Now, this is me adding this in, but I always say, y'all, that diet rhymes with riot. Okay, that's why we don't do those here. He continues, though, I would say you can't spell diet without die. I will agree with the riot association with diet. And Michael, thank you. I had not even thought about the die being in there. So there's another very important reason not to uh, focus on restrictive diets. She is not offering some rigid regime or rules, but rather guidelines and considerations, gently but firmly steering you in the right direction. She makes it pretty darn simple, y'all. Thanks for the y'all, Michael. Southerners, yes. But without insulting your intelligent and without making you feel like she has left out something important. Again, thank you so much, Michael. Michael and I are going to be doing a complimentary health consult, which is something that I would be happy to offer any of you if you simply go onto Amazon and rate the book. Or if you'd like to rate the podcast, same thing goes. In either circumstance, I just ask that you let me know as we content creators do not receive any kind of notification when a review comes in. How do you do that? You can contact me at any of the social media sites. I'm Nourishment Mindset on Instagram. I'm Dixie Huey on LinkedIn. Or you can just send me a good old-fashioned email. That is favor, F-A-V-O-R, fat, F-A-T, favorfat at gmail.com. So again, thank you so much, Michael. And I um, also want to remind y'all about a gifting program that I have going on here at the holidays. If you would like, I can help you with your holiday gifting. For example, for someone else, I am being mailed 20 copies of this person's holiday card, and I am going to be putting them inside 
of signed copies for each of her recipients and then complimentary shipping them for her with some tasteful holiday decor. So if you would like me to help you with your holiday gifting, I would be absolutely happy to do so. And there is no upcharge uh, for, for doing that. So just get in touch with me again, any of the ways that I said a moment ago. Before we dive into Craig's health alchemy episode with me, there are two other things I wanna talk about. One of those is the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Conflicts of Interest, did I say that out loud? I mean public health, excuse me, um, has just published a study that says that red meat causes type two diabetes. Oh my goodness. Let the fear-mongering begin. There's a lot wrong with this study other than being clearly ridiculous. Let's talk about why. So there is a wonderful content creator called Diana Rogers. Her site is Sustainable Dish. She has an article that I will link here that I highly recommend. It's called Four Reasons Why Red Meat Doesn't Cause Type 2 Diabetes. So rather than read her article to you, I'm just going to put it in the show notes. If you're one of my subscribers on Favor Fat at substack.com, then you will see this already, but you should check out her sustainable dish. I'm just going to give you my download on it. Uh, first of all, it's evolutionarily ridiculous. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are clearly omnivores. Um, some people maintain that we are we can be carnivores, and there's plenty of evidence to suggest that that works. The problem with all of these types of studies is that they're correlational, and they're based on really shoddy uh, data. I hesitate to even call it data, but let's just say I were to design a study and I'm going to go back five years and ask you how many times you ate pears, pepperoni, pizza, uh, hot dogs, and you're going to recall this stuff because we know that we're all very accurate in going back in the past and recalling what we have eaten. And then I will decide that certain things cause cancer. So this is not a way to show causation of any type. This is a correlational design. That's all it can show. And it's absolutely ridiculous to ask people for food recalls back into the very distant past. So no, red meat does not cause diabetes. Perhaps the bun and the French fries fried in horrendous toxic inflammatory seed oils like soybean oil. Sure, I think we might have a correlation there, but it is not the red meat. So y'all, please eat your red meat. And please check out the work of both Diana Rogers as well as Nina Teicholz. She endorsed my book and I am forever grateful. Her book, The Big Fat Surprise, changed my life. So much so that my top three health foods for y'all, if you have read my book, you will know. If you haven't, I'm going to go ahead and spoiler alert here. Beef, butter, and eggs. Yes, all of these animal products that have incredible amounts of nutrients. They are not only good for your body, they are so good for your brain. So do not avoid red meat, please. If you want to do something regarding red meat other than eat it, buy meat that is sustainably raised. Cows on pastures, how they are meant to be, grass-fed, grass-finished, 
organic if you can afford it, but do not worry your pretty little heads about red meat and diabetes. That's BS. Now I'm going to start doing something new. This is the first episode. I kind of can't believe I haven't been doing this all along, but in honor of the T.H. Chan School of Conflicts of Interest in Nutrition and Public Health, I am going to start offering a recipe. In today's recipe, any ideas as to what the primary ingredient might be? Yes, it's beef. This is such a simple recipe for y'all. It is Dixie's cheeseburger casserole. So here's how you make it. It's super simple. Get to browning that grass-fed meat. While you're doing that, you can put in some onions. You can put in whatever kind of spices you might like. Just brown that stuff. While you're doing that, pick some vegetables out of your fridge. Wash those suckers. Cut them up into rather small pieces. Line the bottom of a baking dish with said vegetables. Again, your choice, whatever you have lying around. Then you're going to pour that brown meat with the onions and spices and all that good stuff, including, yes, the evil fat that we were all told to avoid. You're going to pour that in there. And then if you like cheese, you could just do a burger casserole. What I do is I slice cheese and then I lay it atop. And then again, if you like any kind of seasoning, you know that I'm a fan of pluck. These are organ meats, ground up, salt, whatever kind of herbs. You can also add some olives in there. You can add some tomatoes on top. Just get creative. Whatever you want to do, just make sure you brown the meat beforehand. Then you're going to stick that in the oven on 375 for 20-ish minutes. You want to check it. My favorite veggies to put in there are bell peppers, um, zucchini, that kind of thing. Absolutely delicious. All you have to clean up is that baking dish after everyone in your family annihilates the cheeseburger casserole. And then of course, rinsing out that pan where you brown the meat and that's it. Dinner is served in about 30 minutes, most of which you can be doing something else like listening to the Nourishment Mindset podcast. Okay. All right. So that is going to be a wrap. We're going to go ahead and dive into Craig's health alchemy episode where he interviews me. I hope y'all have a fabulous Tuesday. Santé. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right. We're here with Dixie Huey. And this is Craig Lane with Health Alchemy, uh, an entity that has multiple branches in the different parts of the world. But we'll just say for now that uh, welcome to my podcast slash uh, YouTube rumble, whatever's and my mission here is really to promote the laws of nature and the un, the undeniable facts that you might disagree with the laws of nature, but they can't be, you know, bipolar. Um, I know I've had my slamming against the wall of reality throughout my life, but what we're really here, the intention of us sitting here today is to offer our experience, you know, like my lifelong inquiry is what is health? You know, what is health really? Because uh, the, the Webster's Dictionary definition is kind of pathetic. It means the absence of symptoms. Talk about a low ball value. Like, shit. So Dixie has a book called The Nourishment Mindset. And she's gone through white, I mean, a wine and food service and um, had a child. And so, you know, Dixie's been through it enough. And I met her on CelineRiverPress.com. And I met her through Stephanie Anderson, the wife of Mark Anderson, 
and the standard process kind of lineage, I'll call it. And I was immediately struck by this uh, nourishment mindset because it's a word I use as associated with nutrition. Nourishment means you're getting what you need. And so on that note, um, Dixie, uh, welcome to our program here. Thank you. It is an honor to be here. And uh, shout out to Stephanie for bringing us together. It's what it's all about, community. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. And so I'm in Santa Cruz, California, and Dixie's out in Naples, Florida. So we're on like, you know, polar opposite sides of the country. And and I grew up in the Santa Cruz surf scene out here. So we got the surfer lingo and hey, dude, and cowabunga and all that stuff, you know, out here. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so you got to have a little. So I'm, I'm here to have fun with health, you know, because the word health to me, it's in my book um, that I wrote years ago. You know, what is health? Well, health is wholeness. Health to me means the same thing as yoga. It means your body, your mind, your spirit is all here in the present moment together to be present with life. So, you know, it's a higher standard than absence of symptoms, I believe. But what would help be to you, Dixie? Oh, it's a huge question. Can I just say I really like your definition? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> like she doesn't mean that. Believe me, she has something she wants to say. But I love your definition. And I agree that the absence of symptoms is pathetic. Like that just sounds very like light gray. You know, to me, health is is vibrant. Health is like a beautiful sunset or sunrise it is not a, a muted gray it is is myriad of color um and health to me really in one word is vitality that's what i want vitality um are you familiar with the, the root cause protocol morley robbins are you familiar with that yes protocol? so morley has this thing about energy and he says you know everything boils down to vitality and energy if you don't have energy you can't get your goals done. Your immune system doesn't work well. You can't make energy uh, in your cells. So if your cells are tired, you're going to be tired, you know? And so I just love Morley's premise of, you know, how he's looking at things. Me too. It's brilliant. I've done several of their webinars just to learn. That I feel like that is a tremendous source of learning there. Well, the top of his mineral hierarchy, um, you know, if he, if he puts like, he was asked directly, you know, like, what's your number one mineral to focus on? And I mean, what do you think, Dixie? <laughs> Loaded question. I'm just going to go with the first thing that comes to mind. And okay. it's probably wrong, but I'm going to say magnesium. That's second. Copper was first. Oh, yes, of course. I should know that studying them. And like, it's not talked about at all. Magnesium is in the forefront, right? So it's. Yeah, and that, you know, that, so health, we can go down to this fractal universe and go down into our cells, which I call mini-me's, right? Or each of our cells is a universe in and of itself. And you could say, you know, our cells are sort of listening to the, you know, we were talking in our last talk about, you know, this the, the way we make decisions. And I like to say, uh, so I'm going to ask your perspective on this in a second is, so our cells are, I got a wind of this about 25 years ago when I reached for a bottle of uh, cheaper sesame oil versus the raw one. And my cells literally went, 
like that to me. <laughs> and I'm in the health food store reaching for it. And it's like, you know, muscle testing. My body's like, eh. and I go to reach for the raw one. My body's like, yay, yippee. And I, I, I met my, so tw- fast forward 25 years, I realized my cells were listening to the captain making bad decisions because we're mostly microbes, you know? Thousand to one, at least, you know, our own cells are outnumbered. And, you know, so Dixie, we have all these things living in us that have to eat and shit or eat and poop. And, That's uh, right, you got And so we're the captain of the bug ship. So welcome, Dixie, captain of the Dixie bug ship. I'm Craig, captain of the Craig bug ship. The good, the good bug ship lollipop, you know? Right. This, what you see, is just like a Halloween costume, right? So this is kind of how I'm, I'm presenting myself on this earth. But within me are the millions of all kind of stuff. We don't know. I don't know what's in there, but I do know I need to feed it. So, you know, what, what aroused your passion to get into health? You know, like what was uh, one of the key moments for you? Sickness sickness um i was a a vibrant child filled with energy um my brothers would say bossy (laughs) um but just a a joyous child um and i became obsessed with ballet that's what i was going to do with my life is be a professional ballerina and you're not talking me out of it i got myself into an art school north carolina school of the arts but the big problem was i don't have what is called like a ballet body the, the mm. microbes in the cells were like, yeah, no, that's no. Um, I have more of a muscular curvy physique, it turns out. But I was not going to be deterred by genetics and all of my cells. I would just starve myself into the ballet body. So that's what I did. And I became extraordinarily sick. Um, I cannot say that I almost died, but I, I was not so far from it um routinely passing out um what started as anorexia you know i'm basically a failed anorexic you know your brain really wants food and nourishment as you know and so the failed anorexic becomes a bulimic because you give in i didn't realize that this was all driven by my brain i just thought i had no willpower mm-hmm. so i would binge and not on steak and butter of course on just junk And then I would purge, but it turned out that I was not good at throwing up. I just could not figure out how to pull the trigger, trigger rather. So I became what I call in my book, a butt bulimic. So I use laxatives. And, And this is a testament to the, I can't even believe I'm here because like any addiction, you need more, right? So I went like two laxatives the first time did the trick right i lost about four pounds um but it became quickly about four packs so that's 96 laxatives so i was routinely each night swallowing a hundred laxatives and somehow i'm not dead Um, that's a yeah mm, yeah talk (laughs) i wonder what you would have seen in the whites of my eyes i think the whites of my eyes were blue because my chosen drug was x-lax and that's coated with that blue dye (laughs) um so that's a long-winded way so how did you get into health well you can imagine how ill I was you don't even know how ill you are when you're that sick 
Um, and it was actually ballet paradoxically that saved me. I got invited to this invitation only like four person summer experience with a professional ballerina um, who was with the North Carolina Dance Theater. And I got there and within like two days, we were living at her house, ballet all day. She's like, I'm on to you. Like, what, what's up with this like lettuce with mustard? Like, that's not eating. You need to eat. I was like, oh, I can't eat. I'm going to be fat. She's like, well, if you, you will go home. So here's your thing. You either go home because I know what you're doing in the toilet and I don't like that. Mm. Um, you either go home or you do exactly what I do. So I'm like, well, she's a badass. I'm going to do what she does. She's like the prima ballerina. That's who I want to be when I grow up. So I ate what she ate and she made us lift weights, which was extraordinary. No one's ever heard of a ballerina lifting weights. I'm sure they do now, but back in the early 90s, no way. And what happened is because she made me nourish myself and she wasn't like the 200 pound nurse at the pediatrician that my dad dragged me to that told me I needed to eat 2000 calories a day. Like, I'm sorry, an obese woman telling a ballerina who wants to be anorexic for her job to eat 2000 calories a day when I'm eating maybe 400, like, yeah, to end up like you, I don't think, thanks for your health advice. So anywho, I did what this ballerina told me to do and something cool happened. My brain changed. All of a sudden I started to feel like myself again. And I wanted to like go for a jog. And then I started to put on muscle and then I grew boobs and got my period. And then I realized like, cause I'm 16 at the time. So okay. I, I should have been mature and I realized, okay, I got a choice here. I can do ballet and be sick and maybe dead or I can quit ballet. So I quit mm. and it sucked, but I lived. So there you go. And that was my first like it, it was absolute to me, like health, what we talked about, what is health? Health is vitality. Health is, you know, what, um, you know, your definition is not the absence of symptoms. Like I, I felt like living again, because I don't think I really wanted to live. I really didn't care if I died. I just didn't want to weigh a hundred pounds. That was like the kiss of death. So all of a sudden I got myself back and I was like, oh my God, food healed me. Like it, you can't unsee that. So there it is. That's why I got into health. <laughs> Did you have the uh, distorted self image also? Oh my gosh. Yes. There's a picture. Um, I'm not sure. Back in front of my book. I don't know. But I, <laughs> I show a picture of myself now, what I'm supposed to look like when, you know, you jeans plus lifestyle and then I show what I call the fat ballerina and it's circa 1992 and it's a picture that was taken of me as I was trying to get into the North Carolina School of the Arts and I really thought I was fat there and it's like this chick with skin and bones I mean I was around 100 pounds I was five, four or five. What's really cool is because I started eating again before I finished growing, I was able to eke out three more inches in like, it was crazy in like a year. So I went from five, four to five, seven. Um, and, and we don't find that crazy now because like, yeah, you were eating, you need protein, you need food. Like you, you have to fuel your, your cells. Right. Um, but I thought it was pretty extraordinary at the time. 
um, and, and, and I did think I was fat at a hundred pounds. Yeah. I felt fat. That was a huge, I didn't realize that till many years later. It dawned on me after a very rough breakup in San Francisco, in my mid twenties, the dude said, I love you. I'm not in love with you. And I very much appreciate him because he, you know, knew we were not meant to be together, but that's not what I thought at the time. Right. And I, I was a triathlete at the time, very healthy, vibrant person and cried myself to sleep. And I woke up and the first thought in my head, this is the eating disorder still in the brain. Mm -hmm. was, oh my God, I'm fat. I bet my pants are going to fit. Like, where does that, what do you mean your pants aren't going to fit? Like, And I realized I'm fat means I'm sad. It's easier to be fat than be sad because if you're fat, you can just like not eat or exercise excessively to the point of injury. You can do all kinds of stuff with I'm fat, but I'm sad. That just sucks. That you gotta, that's time and therapy. <laughs> so that was my coping mechanism. It wasn't ballet was, you know, I had a reason to be skinny, but the real thing going on was traumatic divorce between my parents. So that that was the I'm sad as a child. You so know that when I realized that, that, whoa, like that breaks the cycle. Finally. You have the attributes of someone that um you know generally the entitled healers that grow up with a trust fund, they don't end up becoming very good healers because they haven't suffered. They can't empathize with suffering. And um, I was an overeater myself. Like I would be planning my next meal as I was eating. Mm. So that's the way I stuffed my emotions was to keep eating when I was sad. Yes. So you had, the opposite, no, though, right? you had the opposite, though. You would deny that and not eat because you're fat. Yes, I was fat in my head. And again, three digits, totally unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So then there was a question I had written down that now applies. And I, so I talk about, you know, a house has to have a strong foundation. Everybody knows that. You can't put a house on a weak foundation. It's going to fall down. So in health, I have the four foundations of health. And it's like four pillars. And the first one is what I call your choice maker or your chooser, which determines your blood sugar, because I call insulin a primary hormone because we can control yes. it through our choices, right? And so you could say then, I guess you had a broken choice maker. Yes, for a variety of reasons, you know, emotional trauma, also being a kid, I don't know what I was doing. I had no idea of the impact of what I was doing to myself. Mm -hmm. Teenager, I don't know what I'm doing. But yeah. But that's, you know, that's that's the the capitalism of health, right? You know, you if you're a, a sinister mofo, like, you know, I got the sinister mind, you know, I can understand why they do what they do. So, oh, let's dumb them down from birth. We'll vaccinate the heck out of them. We'll tell them, my mother believed that formula was better than breast milk. So I was never breastfed. My mother and her sisters were talked into formula from their doctors. It's so sad. Right? I mean, it's like, 
Talk about not nourishment. The first thing you put in a child's belly is soy formula with sugar and chemicals. Like really? Hey, mom, by the way, if you're out there listening, uh, thank you for breastfeeding me. (laughs) Bless you, mother. Went against the grain back then. Uh, because yeah, you were, it was healthier to know how much they're getting or whatever shit was sold. Um, but yeah, she believed that that was BS. So, oh, yeah. So the choice maker then is like you were saying it earlier, like we we run around in this fog and we don't know we're in a fog. No. Mm -mm. Right. Like you said, you kind of, you wake up out of it and you go, wait, what was I doing? Oh my God, look what I was doing. And I was asleep at the wheel. Like a light switch, really. Right. So currently then, do you have any like, I mean, I asked pretty, you know, personal questions because I'm interested in depth. Right. <laughs> yeah, so. Why ask surface level softballs? You know, I want a fastball. You've seen my app, you know, I'm I'm pretty like, let's get right to the core thing here. So what do you think your current triggers are then? Like, you know, like I know, I know my triggers pretty well. Like, okay, I'm going to go to my coffee trigger or my, I love cannabis. So like, oh, it's like a big giant bong hit and, you know, oh boy, now I'm good, you know? So what are your triggers you think that kind of bring you back to a, a food choice triggered or do you even have that anymore? That's a good question. The first thing I thought of is, man, I just need to get into weed. Like, I just, I've never, <laughs> I've dalliance around. I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I smoked weed uh, was I was helping my yoga teacher, who I just love and adore, with her iPad. And she's like, let me pay you, dear. And I'm like, no, you're not paying me. Like, this, I'm a friend. Like, it's cool. I've learned so much from you. And she's like, well, at least let me give you a joint. And I'm like, fine. Like, <laughs> but there's no active seeking. I feel like I should get into that. Anyway, that's uh, that's avoiding the question. What are your triggers? I am thrilled to say that I don't struggle with disordered eating in any form or fashion. And I think that is so rare. Like I, I thank the higher power for that all the time. Like it just, I don't, I love food. I think that's part of it. So here's part, like, let's talk about how I got there. How do you go from like a butt bulimic, anorexic, confused person to someone who loves food and no longer, because a lot of people tell you, if you've had an eating story, you're never going to get better. And unfortunately that is the case, but I, you know, I credit this dancer with helping that light switch, but I also worked in the food and wine industry for 20 years. And the love of food, you know, that's how I learned to love food was in Europe, really. I mean, my mom brought us to Italy when I was 16 and I couldn't bring my laxatives, so I had to just, and then I started to, like, the first time I tasted, like, Italian tomato and olive oil, like, I just, it was like this, you know, high without the weed, um, cannabis, excuse me, um, and it, it, more light switch, you know, and so flavor, like, I had never appreciated food, 
Um, and I think because I spent so much time around people who were so mindful, you know, this is in California, Oregon, Washington. So West Coast hippie all the way, so into food and exposed to people all over the world, chefs, farmers, winemakers. So the best moments of my life, a lot of them are around a table and sharing food and wine with people. And so I don't feel like you can love food that much. Maybe you can and have like a disordered relationship with it. But I think when I started to appreciate what is nourishment, if you properly nourish yourself, when you eat, you eat. And when you're done, you're done. You just don't have, I'm not like thinking about cookies. Now, that being said, last night, um, after my kid's baseball game, as a family, we decided he loves to make chocolate chip cookies. And, you know, I have all these fun ingredients. I'm not going to deny my child baking. Um, so I had freaking chocolate chip cookies last night. And guess what? I'm allergic to wheat. I don't know. Was I triggered? No, we were having fun. Do I do that more than once a month? No. So I just, it's balance, right? The French call it equilibre, balance. And I, I living and spending time in France has profoundly influenced the way I think about food and nourishment. So I think that's part of it too. It's a very long answer to the question. I don't have food triggers. This does not mean I, I'm, you know, I still have issues just like every other human being, but not with food. I become bitchy. That's... <laughs> I get all up in my head and I get anxious and that manifests as like hyper doing stuff. But thankfully it doesn't manifest with eating stuff. It's just like chores and to-do lists. Yeah, I could, I could relate to what you said. I, um, I, I, I see the fuse get lit of the trigger, but I, I, I can't do what I used to do. Like, you know, um, so that's where, you know, if you have self-awareness and you can see the, the trigger within yourself and say, how am I going to process this outside of food, right? And go sit with it versus eat and numb it away. Um, so thank you. I, I always appreciate a vulnerable answer. And um, yeah, we all have, you know, psychological triggers and whatnot. But there's this thing that I call mouth entertainment. And it really disarms people. I go, well, you're addicted to mouth entertainment, aren't you? And then once that's thrown at, at someone, then they have they can't unsee it, you know. Because I got clients that dream about me giving them advice in dreams, you know. That's how crazy my weird life is. Like I'm in their dreams, you know, like yelling at them, like stop doing that, you know, or whatnot. And so when I start to see mouth entertainment guy, then I ask my body. I call it. Craig, future self, veto. Hmm. So your future self, because I, I did some shamanic work kind of involuntarily, but I love the Castaneda series, Carlos Castaneda. And so he would say, make death an advisor. Make death your advisor. So I came up with what I called the deathbed game. And all my major decisions are based on my guy on his deathbed. Would I or would I not regret having done or not done this? Because I'm not going to die with regrets. I'm dying clean. And so that's where my future Craig Vito comes in. Like, 
So I saw this at night. I'd stay up late after doing my massage shift late, working on beautiful people, then being single and eating chocolate and eating late and waking up and feeling like shit in the morning. Yeah. And I realized like night guy is fucking over morning guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I gave morning guy veto. And then it was like, oh, that's self-love. I'm loving my morning guy by not doing the overeating at night. So you see the, the, the future self-veto is what helped me of just connecting the consequences to, dude, you're going to get 15 minutes of mouth pleasure from your whatever, then you're going to suffer for three days. Yeah. Is it worth, is the 15 minutes of pleasure worth the three days of suffering? Absolutely not. Maybe occasionally. <laughs> well, I'm with you on the cookies. Like my last two health holdouts were Toll House chocolate chip cookies and Nature's Valley hemp plus granola with a little clusters in it. Oh, the hemp plus. You're so Santa Cruz. I love it. <laughs> I don't even know if they sell that in Florida. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> they have the little crunchy clusters, you know. You know how that is. They're like, oh my God. Awesome. So no, it's great. You know what, my, I mean, I, so I'm not sitting here. I call it Health Coach Hill. I'm not sitting here on Health Coach Hill saying I got all my shit figured out because I don't. Um, I debated, you know, if people are watching this, I debated not for very long, but I asked myself the question, you know, I have a, the cover of my book is this beautiful food board that my wonderful Rachel uh, helped me design. And there's rosé in there. That's a glass of rosé at the top. Oh, and, Well, this is a little controversial, right? Because like alcohol is inflammatory and like most health coaches, you know, but I'm a sommelier and I spent 20 years in the wine industry and I'm like, damn it, you know, that's who I am. So if someone wants to give me shit for having a glass of rosé with my cheese and meat board, charcuterie board, then that's fine. I understand, you know, and so that I would say is my vice would be wine, you know, duh, I'm a sommelier. Um, so usual me, what do you call it? Morning me is like, hey, keep your shit together. You can have a couple, three, two, three glasses of wine, you'll be fine. Like that's, I realize that's not optimal for health. Sometimes night me wins and my husband and I will open a second bottle. And that's why I said about your, the, the cook, like occasionally, like sometimes it's fun to break the rules and that's just that is my personality I have uh, what my mom would call like a shit-eating grin sometimes I just you know I break the rules and it's fun but I have a framework and that's not my norm you know I think for me the the framework is is critical to so just how am I going what is my lifestyle how am I going to live so I had a Taoist teacher. He was a Taoist chef. I was learning with Michael Chiara, herbal medicine. Oh, in the 90s. And this guy, this guy's teacher, he was Chinese from San Francisco and he was a professional chef, but his teacher still lived in the mountains of China. Oh, that is wonderful. And uh, so this guy had a saying, and I was always trying to be vigilant, you know, and get out of my own way. And then he, he said to me something that relates to what you just said. He said, he said, Craig, my teacher said this. Everything in moderation, including moderation. Yes, that's attributed. Excuse me. I if, if your listeners are watching, I'm the dunce that did not plug my computer in after we did our interview on the Nourishment Mindset podcast. So I don't want to lose battery. 
So I apologize for the distraction, but I'm grabbing my power cord. Apparently computers need nourishment as well. Oh, yes. They need those electrons and protons and all that. <laughs> um, thank you. I, 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 I've learned, um, you know, the psychology part, because you, you have the psychology stuff. And so I went into men's work in the 90s and uh, joined the Mankind Project uh, in 2012. And I, I learned how to facilitate people over the years. And okay. so in that, I realized like, oh, um, we can process people down to, because I was always a good listener. You know, if you're empathic and you listen and people, they, they feel received, like you women are especially sensitive to this. Most oh, of the yes, women, we are. You know, most of the women that come in, I'm the first man that's actually ever listened to them. A lot of them cry because they're like, oh my God, you're actually listening to me. And I'm like, well, I'm available, you know? and so the question would be then, um, you, you have the psychology thing, and so what do you do with, uh, like, I view everyone as we're transmitting and receiving, right? So I've done enough body work to see it, where if I have four low back pain cases, at the end of the day, I have low back pain. Really? Yeah, so that's why I do yoga and meditate almost every day, is because I have to process other people's so this came out of another coach, and you'll love this. He said, Craig, based on your particular configuration, I want you to suspect that anything you're feeling when you're in public as your first assumption is not your own. It's someone else's. This explains a lot about something that I've been struggling with professionally, which is just the, you know, the, the empty cup or feeling. Just, it, it's hard to... I don't know that it's quite the same thing, but it's one of the reasons I did not go to grad school to become a therapist is because I didn't think that I could keep that distance that you have to do for self-preservation. And I'm finding with some of my clients that it, it's, I mean, for lack of a better way to say it, just honestly, like it's really dragging me down. And so I'm trying to work on figuring out, you know, I need to change my approach. Um, there are skills that I need to build to become a better coach to where I can be there with them, but I cannot take on their mental anguish. Um, so I don't know if that's what you meant by that, but I'm, I'm actively um, seeking knowledge <laughs> to help me with this. And I appreciate the discomfort because only that discomfort will lead me to be a better coach. Right. Um, but it is currently challenging. So. Okay, good. Well, that leads to the next question then. So, all right. Um, so, in Chinese medicine, they talk about the earth element, and that's usually the digestive organs. And so, uh, my, one of my greatest insights came out of this was that okay, we digest physically, but we also digest emotionally, psychically, and mentally. And so, um, what I saw happening to me was that in shamanism, a lot of people hand over their stuff to the shaman and then he digests it for them with a certain consequence and he or she and with a certain consequence to them and, and you know i got hundreds of stories of reading about this stuff you know like it, it's crazy and then i realized like oh that's what my teacher was talking about like suspect anything that's not yours 
So what is mine? And then I've been meditating long enough to know that, you know, consciousness is like the sky and clouds are like thoughts. They come, they pass and they go. They come, they pass and they go. Right. And then it's like, don't get identified with the thoughts was the thing. And what helped me with that was just being quiet every day, doing yoga and letting it just, you know, letting it cycle like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so from today. And oh yeah, that's so-and-so from yesterday. And um, so the, the question then I guess would be, you're, you're sort of already aware of that process, right? But the question would be, how much of your life do you still think is not yours? That other, other people's stuff. And you may not even be aware of it yet. You know, that's the, that's the good part. I don't think if I know how much. Um, I do know that what you just said, you know, mindfulness, yoga, meditation, you know, for a lot of people that might, well, I mean, you're in California, so that's, that's a thing, but you know, in the South, that sort of sounds like mumbo jumbo, but it's profoundly helpful to me. The, the quiet time that I insist on, I don't necessarily know. I can't, I'll be lying if I said daily, but five, six times a week uh, makes a huge difference. And it's not even that big of a time investment, but it's a must for me um, because that's when you can just sit there. And like you said, you know, you, you likened it to clouds, just passing and changing, whatever it is, it's okay. Like, I don't even have to understand it. Um, I think of it a lot like the ocean because I live by the coast. So like in and out, in and out. So Humans are like that too. You know, someone cuts you off in traffic, you know, I could choose to be mad at it. You know, I could choose to flip the bird. That's kind of fun in the moment, but like, do I really need to do that? No. So I think a lot of this work is just what you have said, just like being present and it's not detachment. I think it's just just sort of being present in the space and not necessarily having to react to everything. You know, that's my favorite thing about yoga. Just like be, be, just be. Yeah. So I wanted to add that, that what I talk about, uh, like people playing music can be this time. People going in the garden could be this time mm -hmm. to non mystify it. You know, it's not mystical. It's like, like you said, in the South, you know, you might go gardening. Some guys might go yes. have a, a quiet solo going hunting with the guys, you know, or I was going to say, we got like gun and garden magazine or whatever. <laughs> so, right. You nailed it. Right. You know, so I'm a guy, you know, I hunt flies, you know, around my house. Like. <laughs> I've never thought of myself as a hunter before. Cool. All right. I'm like a roach hunter then. So that's You're what we got. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Water bug. Cockroaches are great anyway, you know. Oh, so here's a funny one. Have you heard of cockroach milk? No, I haven't, but I could probably make it with all the roaches around here. The WEF was touting this. I saw it on a blurb no. that they were no, touting cockroach milk up. as a superfood. So, so wait, here's my joke. Okay, you're going to love this. So I, I say, boy, you know, how do you get the little teats onto the cockroach tit yeah. to milk them. That must be some tiny little, you know, nano milkers, you know? <laughs> That's what I say. Now, I don't mean this to people who are lactose intolerant, I, but I think to myself, how the hell do you milk an almond? 
doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> um, well, here, here's my answer to people that say they're lactose intolerant. I go, well, raw milk has lactase in it. Bingo, raw milk. Real milk is what I call that. So the enzyme to digest the raw milk is in the raw milk. Yeah, but raw milk is dangerous and it'll kill you. <laughs> I love, that's one of the things that it's, unfortunately, it's a 45 minute drive for me, but I can, if y'all are watching this, I'm air quoting, I can go to the wonderful seed to table in North Naples and buy real raw milk for pet consumption only. So you you can still get it, but you have to say it's for my pet. Well, it's for Travis the Newfoundland, yes, and me and my kid and my husband. <laughs> um, that's my legislate the important things. That's really important. Keep people from drinking real milk. <laughs> well, that that goes back to health capitalism, and you know, you you woke up to that too. Of oh. you know. Um, I had this teacher, uh, Michael Dobbins. Bless you, Michael. Rest in peace. He was a he was a great teacher for Standard Process, actually, out here on the West Coast in Berkeley. Uh, Michael Dobbins, and he he said this funny thing about being a healer. He said, "Okay, okay, client, I don't want all your money. Okay, I just want a little bit of your money for the rest of your life." <laughs> but he just nailed it, you know. But medicine wants. More than a little of your money. You know, they want your soul. You know, bankrupt you. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about the clouds going through the sky. So that brings up one of the questions that I um I wrote it down last night. I wanted to ask you was so in my world, I call it consciousness airtime. You know, if some person keeps popping in my mind throughout the day, then I realize like they're taking airtime and maybe I should send them a prayer or call them up or and nine times out of 10, I commonly go, oh, I was just thinking about you, you know? Yeah. So what takes up your airtime any given point of the day? Do you, I mean, because I got, I mean, I'm happy to share mine. It's not, it's good, bad, and ugly, you know? It's like, I get horrendously bad thoughts too, which aren't mine. Remember, they're not ours. So what do you think you spend your time chewing on in a moment of the day? I love like, this question. It's, it, it is a great question to really not just answer, but to to just be mindful of the question, you know, so thank you for that, because that's something I'm going to take with me after this and, and, and just hang out with. Um, so what takes my airtime? So typically when I get up, what would take over if I let it is just the to-do list. You know, I mentioned <laughs> I'm being anxious. Um, you know, I'm a dealer, <laughs> Protestant work ethic. Um, but so I circumvent that because, you know, there, I do believe there are things we humanoids can do. One of the things is not, you know, a lot of people wake up and they do screen rise. Like I'm not going to be looking at my freaking email right when I wake up, it's dark outside. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go outside in my bare feet, maybe with Travis the Noof and, and just hang out outside and look at the gorgeous sunset. So contrast that with what I would be doing. My default program setting is to, you know, start scrolling. What do I got to do? And who did I forget about yesterday? And how am I going to grow this part of my business? So no, I mindfully take morning time, you know? And so like, it's, it's like, you know, you carve it out for yourself. You got to claw it 
you know, and so the first part of my morning is, is that, and, and the, the yoga, the meditation, even if it's like five, 10 minutes, I mean, that really, to me, sets the tone for the day. Like the morning is mine. Um, and when I'm done with that, then the stuff in my head space is, you know, frankly, mom stuff, like got to get the kid up, got to, I'm particular about what my dog and my kid eats. So I'm making eggs for both of them in the morning. <laughs> packing lunches. And, and so for a while it's that, you know, and then I'm usually doing some sort of a workout, which I love. I've always been into workouts. And frankly, when I'm working out, I'm not thinking because I'm pushing myself. And so that's a really important thing for me. You want to see me, not my best self is me injured and unable to work out because I just, I need, I am addicted to endorphins. <laughs> that's nice because I'm not thinking. Um, and when I'm at work, I'm very present at work, but it, it's, you know, how can I be present for this person, answer their questions, help them take one more step on their health journey. And that's frankly, you know, I spend a lot of my day in that mode because I'm a health coach. Um, and, and sometimes in that space, the uncomfortable part, you know, the let's get real part is, you know, I question myself. Am I good at this? Am I giving this person what they want? Am I saying this in the right way? A lot of what I'm doing is by um, text communication. Um, and so you don't have the tone of voice, like uh, phone calls, of course. I do phone calls as well. But, you know, you're, I'm questioning myself. And I, I don't want that to go away. I don't think that's necessarily unhealthy. Um, but it's part of the challenge of that job you know, and then the rest of my day after work is done is back to like, we got to go to baseball. We got to go to guitar. <laughs> What's for dinner? What's the dog eating for dinner? Got to make his beef, yada, yada. So I would like to have the ability to spend more time in that quiet space. And I know that I'm addicted to podcasts, particularly health podcasts. So if I'm like doing laundry or cleaning up or making dinner, I'm typically listening to something, but I'm actively right now making myself have quiet brain time. So folding the laundry without a podcast would be one, you know, just because I realize like there's too much input, you know, this like 10, 15 minutes of the morning of input free is great, but like that's not enough in a 24 hour period. Um, and I've noticed that it has helped my sleep very much, but that's, I hope that's what you were asking me, but I, it's a very small amount of time to, to, <laughs> to not have all the input and all the noise, but that's, that's what I got for you now, Craig. I'm sure I can do better. <laughs> right. And so that's what that voice right there is what I call the internal judge and everything has a gold and a shadow. So the, the gold of the judge is it makes us better. The shadow of the judge, it can beat us up unnecessarily. Right. Yes. So, you know, my teacher would often said, uh, I just used to say when a spiritual seeker comes up to him, the first thing he looks for is their quote, sincerity to the truth. And you have the markers of someone sincere because you're willing to put yourself in that uncomfortable place voluntarily, you know. My teaching is the more the more voluntary suffering we take on, the less involuntary suffering we get from life. Oh, I love that. Like cleansing is a, for the ego, like my, one of my first silent retreats was a five-day silent retreat, and I just up there in front of 300 people, and he's like, so, he says, what ego 
in its right mind is going to sit and stare at a wall for five days. He goes, your ego didn't drive you here. It was something deeper because an ego is going to go on a five-day vacation to the Bahamas. It's not going to sit in a chair stewing in silence. He's like, so just get that clear that what drove you here wasn't your ego. Dude, now I've realized I've got to do that. Thanks a lot, man. I want to go to the Bahamas, but now I need to go stare at a wall. You're totally right. I do want to add one thing. I left out the most important part of my day, and that's dinner. Dinner is really important to me. I also eat lunch. <laughs> but dinner is where, you know, ideally we're we're sitting down together or if I happen to be alone, but it's, it's a, it is a moment of pause and it is a time to be present. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that the table side traditions and the pleasure and the gratitude you can take in nourishing yourself. I mean, that's, that is the highlight of my day. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because um, my mother's mother was um, a nutritionist, not more of the synthetic vitamin kind of nutritionist, but but the center of their home was the kitchen. I mean, everything revolved around the kitchen. And what's the center of the current American's home? What do you think? The TV. The TV <laughs> the and computer. Tablet. <laughs> and the tablet, right. So, but that's part of, again, it's it part, like you, you kind of got onto that. Like, you know, if you're even semi-aware of, because in yin and yang, if you look at like, here's how the Buddhists would look at this. Like, if you have a lot of input, then you need to have time to rest. Activity and rest are a, are a duality. Totally. That's what I heard you saying was you're aware that you need a little less input and a little more, you know, just rest time. Dude, that's the story of my life. You said earlier, surfer, dude. I love dude. I, as someone said to me once, wait a minute, you just called your mom dude. And I'm like, yeah, everybody's dude. Um, <laughs> yes, that if left to its own devices, my brain would just go all day long. And I think the root cause of anything that is suboptimal with me is just that overactive brain, you know, on some, it can be a gift and it can be a curse. It's both. It's the yin and the yang, but I have to actively pursue calm and quiet. And that, that is my biggest takeaway from yoga and meditation is, you know, do nothing. You know, Southerners do this. They sit on the porch and they watch cars go by in small towns. Right. And like people would make fun of that, right? Look at those rednecks. What are they doing? They're actually what they call it setting, S-E-T-T-I-N, setting. Setting is actually just being present in the moment. It's actually, I think it's very good. Um but it's our culture that it's like do, 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 to-do lists. You know, children now have like three and four activities a day. And I mean, it's just, it's mayhem. And that is another thing, you know, I, I will credit my friends in the wine industry. They are so good at just gathering around a meal and just talking and laughing. I'm like, you got to have that. Right, right. Well, so here's the thing about meditation to non-mystify it is, my teacher had a great, very honest kind of guy. He said, I failed at meditation in the mm -hmm. parameter of a quiet mind. He said, I failed miserably. My mind would never be quiet. So you could understand that. So 
I tell people like I'm the same way. Like my even when I'm meditating, there's usually a little something going on in the background. Even after a half hour, it's like so I just can't turn the thing off. So guess how you make your mind slow down though? By being okay with a busy mind. Yes. It's like those clouds, right? It's okay. It's the resistance of the monkey mind that makes the monkey mind more active. It's kind of like and the more energy you feed into resisting it, the more the stronger it gets. Oh, I was afraid to meditate. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You want me to sit still for five minutes? Like, I'm Tigger. I'm not sitting anywhere. I don't even sit. And But it's exactly what I needed. At age 25, my first meditation, within the first five minutes, I realized how insane my mind was, and I got scared. Like, to yeah. your point. It was like, I'm, I have thoughts upon thoughts upon thoughts. You can relate. Like one thought would end, it'd be another two still spinning behind that one. And it's like, God, where's the quiet? It's like buried under all these layers of thinking, you know? Yeah. yeah. So did were you uh, aware at all as a teenager or when you were younger that food was affecting your consciousness for good or bad? Were you aware of that or at all? Or No, as a kid, not at all. Um I think that the realization was that story I told when I was with that prima ballerina and she made me eat. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, like where have I been the last three years? Mm-hmm. It, it was like, you know, first times like I, I, I have poor vision, you know, the first time you put on glasses or contacts and you're, you know, you're blown away that you, there's so much clarity. So that's what it was like for me. It was like waking up. But no, I had no concept of what that was before. I had this weird, like, I would drink, like, Cokes as a teenager, and I, you know, I had Jolly Ranchers and Cheetos oh, yeah. and Cokes and candy, and I had some inkling that maybe it's, it's kind of like a, a tiny little voice, and there's 10,000 other stronger voices over the top of it. It's kind of, when I look back now, I was like, God, um, and in my case, I was talking to spirits when I was four. My mother told me to stop. And so I sold out my sensitive side to fit into the world at a young age. And that went underground until age 39. It, it kept hammering at me, but I didn't know what it was until I had my yeah, final awakening at 39. And my invisible friends came back in this silent retreat. And the the how I sold myself out, like, to fit in with the adults as a child to feel safe. Like I can't talk about things I see because people will think I'm crazy and it put me in a straight jacket. That had to be really painful to re I want to say re-see, but like reawaken. I mean, were you like, oh my gosh, was that scary? Or was it like, okay, it's okay. Like it's back. It's part of who I am. Like, what do you do with that? That seems so I woke up at age 25. I told you about that. Then I spent 14 years seeking, you know, seeking, mm-hmm. seeking, seeking. And then at 39, I was at another silent retreat. I'd done probably a, at least 20 or 30 over those 14 years because I, I wanted to know for myself what enlightenment was. I wasn't going to take anybody's word for it. What is this thing? And then at 39, I'm with a girlfriend. And so we're sharing a room in silent retreat. So you talk about a weird, like you get dumped at the silent retreat at the end of the day and you know, and she was always enforcing the rules, and I always wanted to break the rules. Let's talk. And I'm time. like, did y'all cheat? You know, you did. <laughs> I wanted to, but she held my butt to the iron. So bless Carolyn Vitale for that. 
<laughs> and um, but on day two of the retreat, I had that experience where it was like something cracked over my head and this part of me just broke open right here. And then this memory rushed in uh, and I had three days of laughing uncontrollably and crying uncontrollably because I felt like I had wasted 35 years of my life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so on one hand, that's so painful. And on the other hand, it's like, I'm back. Like, right. Right. Oh. Um, so, well, us, so as a child, you know, you, you can understand that as it, the adults are the authorities and I need to fit into their world. And But everything I knew as a child, I used to wish that I could be my own parent. So now I go back. To, I did the other night. I was meditating and my five-year-old came up from something that triggered me. And I told him, I go, remember how you wished you could become the man that you wished could be your father? Well, I'm that guy now. And I'm sending you that that validation that you were right yeah that you were right and it's okay that you had to sell out to be safe absolutely you know those are protective mechanisms it is very sad what we as a society sometimes label as crazy or scary it's just too uncomfortable for most people sometimes myself included to to accept but it's unfortunate you know i think of like my mother and i were discussing this like the witches <laughs> witches mm -hmm. these are just women that didn't agree with shit back in the day so we gotta burn them um but we do that as, as humans we burn them. want things to make sense and to be black and white and my whole thing is the whole world is gray everything is gray you know you, you can look at you know from mental health to sexuality, to, I mean, you just name it. Like it's, there is no, we want there to be, but you just, to me, you gotta get comfortable with the fact that it's uncomfortable and that's okay. Um, okay, so I got another question. Maybe we, we're probably getting close to the wind down time. Um, I, time just passes so fast when I gave you conversations. <laughs> so you have a child and I, I saw myself as, uh, I was here to overcome what my parents couldn't. So is there anything you want, you wish for your child that you or your family lineage or your husband's couldn't overcome that you've taught him or already taught him or will teach him? Like, what do you think that in your lineage, like what, it, what are you advising your child on, you know? Actively. So I think that um, Patrick and I, our role as Fletcher's parents are is to honor the being that he is that sounds so <laughs> <laughs> okay hippie lady who's been west coast up there <laughs> west coast woo but like i really believe that um and it's just you know sure there are things you know that you, you've got a framework that we enforce is such a tough word but they're just thinking he's got to be polite um, but he has a lot of freedom within that framework to be who he is. And I've always, um, I will answer his questions. So I think that's a big one. Like I will answer him straight up. And sometimes the kids questions are not comfortable, but I'm not going to lie to my kid. I may not give him the entire context of everything. Um, 
and and some would say, well, you know, I've been criticized. Will you treat him like an adult? And it's like, I want him to, I'm not like trying to spoil his childhood, but I just think children, it's interesting, right? Like to me, they, they know way more than anyone thinks. It's like what you were saying. And I don't want to squash that. And I don't want to pretend like that's not there just because he doesn't have an adult body. Like he does, I mean, he knows things that I don't know and I just want to be okay with that. So I realize that's maybe not a clear cut answer, but I just, I don't want to put him in some box. And so when I grew up and and I do appreciate this, like education was very, very important, uh, particularly to my mom, but to both parents, she did all the work though. Um, to the point where it was frankly somewhat overwhelming at times, um, you know, must get all A's, must take all hard classes, you know, just lots and lots of pressure. I think for me, that's another thing that's maybe more specific. Like I, I will not put that pressure on him. So for example, it was very important in my family that you get into the best college you can go to and you go there. And I appreciate that. Like I had a wonderful college experience, but I'm not going to raise my kid that way. And I also think college is really different now. So I actually maybe hope he either doesn't go to college or goes somewhere abroad. (laughs) Certainly the not woke USA. Um, I just want, I, I honestly want him to follow his heart and his mind and just I want to support him becoming who he wants to be. I don't want to have any governors on his soul, if that makes sense. I just, it's my job to like help him become who he wants to be. And if he's not a straight A student, I don't care. <laughs> I want him to be a person with integrity, you know, so that's what we teach. So the other day he accidentally kind of threw his bat back and it smacked the catcher somewhere. He wasn't hurt. Um, And I could see when he got to first base that he felt awful. The kid had to take a break, whatever. And so I went and found this child's father and introduced myself and, and, you know, gave him ice packs, water. And I, 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 I apologize. Of course it was an accident, but I had my son, I got him in the dugout and I said, I need you to come here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go meet this child and his father and apologize. And immediately the tears come. And I'm like, I know it's hard, buddy, but you're going to feel so much better after you acknowledge it. And so that, you know, that's another specific example. Like you're going to, you're going to go say, I'm sorry. I want you to meet them. I want you to shake the dad's hand. And, And so we did that. And in the car ride home, he's like, gosh, that family was really nice about that. And the thing that I took away was another mom saying to me, oh, did you like run and hide when that happened? Like, Mm. hell no. No, right. No, talk about bad karma. Hell no, I don't want that. (laughs) So what was that lady actually saying? I'm going to go run and hide. What's that lady actually telling you? She's telling you that's what she would do, right? I guess so, but I was shocked, you know. It was like, no, you got to face that. Like that would be letting my child down. This is a great opportunity for him to learn. I mean, we are going to have shit that we mess up and we need to take. And maybe the other person isn't going to be nice about it like this family was. Then we got to deal with that. How old is your son? Soon to be 10. 
So, you know, uh, get ready because in the tribal traditions, that's what I learned through the men's work is that from age 10 to age 13, the women raised the boys until they were 10 to 13. And then the men took to the screaming mothers, the men took the boys away for their initiations into the very thing you're talking about of taking responsibility for your decisions and getting a trial and tribulation of some sort, some sort of survival test is what they used. And, um, and because the, the women generally, because women are the creator, the feminine is the creator and the masculine. Nurture. Yeah, the destroyer, Shiva, right? It's not destroying things, it's just tearing things down. And so your boy will need more of that masculine authority to, because it's not a good match for a woman at that point to be with a teenage boy. It's not a good match. The men I don't know how my mom did it. <laughs> she <Right>? had <laughs> my mom had me and my brother, and we were master manipulators. Yeah. We would talk about how to manipulate mom to get what we wanted. Of That's course. Cool. Yes. That I said that to my husband this morning. There was a bit of a door slam. <laughs> I call it kid tude. Kid tude erupted again door slamming and my husband got up and was like Burr! you know all you have to do is look at him. But I'm like I don't have that superpower I gave birth like I did all the nurturing stuff and yeah we're honest we are it's the yin and yang right like I believe in it it's not to say it's not like I'm sitting here saying that like a homosexual couple can't raise a family not that but I appreciate the beauty of the difference between the female nurturer and the male like you need to get your shit straight. You're not slamming the door in this house. <laughs> right. And I let him do it because I appreciate that because I did not have that. My dad is a, um, what would you call it? You would call him a narcissist. Oh, a narcissist. Yes. And a um, closeted gay man, which is how you had to be in the uh, oh. South at that time. So I don't blame him for that but it created a lot of issues in the family, as you can imagine. Um, but he was married to his work, basically. So mm -hmm. i that's the other thing. Like, it was super important to me um, that if I was going to have a kid, that I would do it with, like, a very incredible father for him. Because that's, for a kid to be ignored, rejected by any parents uh, is, is a big trauma. Oh. So. I, I just got to say, bless you and your service. Um, I, um, I I watched I watch a lot of parents. I'm, I'm not a parent. Um, I, I probably could be, but you know, I my spiritual teachers, every one of them said the the most difficult spiritual job is to be a householder and raise a family. So there you go. You have chosen a much more different difficult spiritual path than I have because my time is my own, 100. I can do whatever the heck I want, whenever I want to do it. And uh, you don't get that. I mean, if you're a sincere parent, you don't, you know. Yeah, no, you don't. And it's, um, we had our son late, you know, I was an advanced age mother, <laughs> which is why my son pointed out to me in kindergarten. He's like, mom, how come like you're, you know, just like maybe older than the other? I'm like, yeah, I know, dude. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get with my career and whatnot. I didn't want to have a kid. That's why he's a you know got an old mom is I actively didn't want a kid. They're gross. They stink. They mess your life up. I mean, goodness gracious. Um, but I changed my mind. So there, <laughs> I will say I've learned more from my son than from anything. It, it's really I know that sounds just 
too cliche. Okay, I got to ask you one more question about this. So I've met women who are adamantly opposed to having children, and then they meet that magic guy and some button goes on where they suddenly want to have a kid. Did that happen to you? That's not what happened to me. So I met my guy when I was 25. And I think, shit, yeah. So I mean, we were together 10 years before I even got pregnant, because we were not, we like being dinks. Like, let's go to Thailand. Let's, you know, let's drink wine and travel the world. And and I don't know, it's a lot of fun. And I honestly, I cannot really remember what that feels like. <laughs> because once there is a child, like the life just, it's, it's a, I, I just, I don't even remember. That's okay. I'm glad I had that time. But yeah, you're right. There will never be another time where I'm just not a mom. It's a permanent condition. <laughs> was I mean, was was it a planned pregnancy or was it, you know, like that's my question though, is were you? Oh, yeah, no. So to get, yeah, it's it's kind of a funny story, actually. It involves alcohol. So excuse me, because <laughs> it's a healthy amount. We were at a wedding <laughs> and um my mother-in-law was there and I don't usually drink uh, martinis, but for whatever reason, I decided that it would be a good idea to have two martinis. And when you're not used to drinking non-wine, that's a very bad idea. <laughs> and so I was in the restroom as women tend to do the restroom thing together. And I said to my mother-in-law, I think I want to have a baby. She's like, what? And, um, I am going to be honest here. I didn't exactly remember the conversation. And uh, (laughs) the next morning after the wedding, uh, when we woke up, my husband was like, what's this about you talking about wanting to have a baby with my mother? (laughs) What the hell? And I was like, I said that out loud. I thought that was my subconscious that I was trying to silence. Like, I can't believe I let that one out. Oh, shit. So I called my best friend, who's an OBGYN, um, when my husband wasn't around. I said, I just, I've been having these feelings. Like, and she's like, what do you mean these feelings? I'm like, like, I want a baby. Like, how do I get rid of that? And she just started (laughs) laughing. She started laughing. She goes, dude, you have baby fever. It's time to buy, buy some stretchy bras and just give up on your figure and just let magic happen. I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I can't cure that. You're going to be a mom. Like, sorry. (laughs) I tried to get rid of it. (laughs) So, I I mean, I I got so many questions. Do do you think that maybe the soul plans their, you know, like maybe you're you're already aware that your son was already coming in? Like, could that be a possibility? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why that happened. Like, it's it's like we said, like, I don't... uh, I don't have to know, but I do find it, you know, my mom still finds it hysterical. She said she was even like, I mean, that that's the even funnier part of the story. So I admit this to my mom and she's like, are you sure? Like, you can't undo that. And I'm like, what, what kind of a like future grandmother talks like that to her daughter? Like, and she's like, oh dear, I just, you really need to, you know, like maybe wait for the martini to wear off like wait a while don't don't pull the goal and I'm like goodness gracious um 
And uh, she said, no, you were just your whole life. Like you didn't want to play with baby dolls. Whenever a child walked in the room, you know, after you were a certain age, you would leave. Like, you don't think babies are cute. You don't want to like hold your nephew. Like, you know, you're just, you don't like children. And I was like, I know, that's why this is very uncomfortable. I still don't like children. So I don't know. I mean, that's just the universe's plan, I guess. I um, I don't have an active dislike of children anymore. I will tell you that. Because they're not my problem. They're someone else's problem. My only problem is my own child. So that's fine with me. He's pretty great. Okay, we, we probably should. I mean, I'm. if you're watching this, then it passed the editing stages. But uh, thank you, Dixie. And I mean, I, I swear what happens with me is I'll get a client in for an initial intake, which is two hours, whether it's on zoom or in person. And generally it seems like 15 minutes. Yeah, I can imagine. You're easy to talk to. You ask great questions. <laughs> it, my ancestors were the lanes, Irish, the Mick lane and the lane is the street. And I did enough ancestry work to realize my ancestors were innkeepers. And if you were an innkeeper before television and radio, you had dang well better be a good storyteller, have good naked dancers, good musicians, you know, entertainment. Because and be able to cook. And be able to cook. So my ancestry is a natural to be a storyteller, you know, because of my Irish lane ancestry. Living I love that. So, and you, uh, just to give you reflection, I... I, I don't find a lot of women that find that really good balance between masculine and feminine, but God, you are an embodiment of both. And what a delight. Like, I don't use the word delight a lot, but we need to use that word delightful a lot. Like what a delightful conversation, you know, delight of the light. That is a great word. And um, my, one of my favorite people, thank you, by the way, that's a tremendous compliment. Um, one of my favorite people is a gal called Amy Jones, who is a therapist. She 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 did it, man. God love her. She and I are unlikely close friends because she is this super liberal San Francisco, you know, Jewish gal, and I'm the redneck. But she actually found on the side of the road a shirt that said Dixie Delight. And she bought it. And here's why that is a little crazy, because it has a um, a rebel flag. Really? And I, I mean, I just, when she gave it to me, I was like, I can't believe you, like, paid money for a Confederate flag. Like, isn't that against everything you stand for, dear? And she's like, I had to buy it for you. <laughs> I'm not wearing it in public, but, like... So I don't know. I thought of that shirt. I still have the shirt. It's some 20 years old, but uh, I appreciate that very much. Uh, so how do we, so we, how do we reach you? We reach you through your website, favorfat. Yes. So favorfat.com is my health coaching practice website. Okay. And one can buy a signed copy of the book there or on Amazon. And then the social stuff is all linked on the website at the bottom, just like you do with the link tree, et cetera. So I can be found there. And I do, I have a podcast also called The Nourishment Mindset. It's on YouTube as well until I get kicked off. And that'll be like a day of celebration because I know I will have accomplished that feat. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
And my, um, if people want to receive, like it's just twice a month, um, it's favorfat.substack.com. So that's how people get the articles that I write for places like Celine River Press or the podcast, that sort of thing. So that's my, my Substack. It's all kind of housed there. Okay. And the one thing we were, we agreed to plug selenriverpress.com. Yes. Your book's also for sale on there. And bless you, Stephanie Anderson, and all the beautiful people over there at Celine River Press. Uh, yes. That I've never met, but hope to meet someday. Oh, yes. Yeah, Danielle there is awesome. Her whole crew is just terrific. And I, yes, I agree. So don't go to my website to buy the book. Go to Celine River Press. That's a holistic health website, and it's tremendous. And you write for them as well, right? Yeah, I have a, 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 a more hit or miss than you. Um, there's some backdrop around that, but we'll go over that another time. All right. Anything in closing you'd like to leave people with uh, as we end our conversation? Well, I think what we were talking about earlier, if you're not making time to just sit on the front porch and watch the cars drive by, you should find some quiet time in your daily life, even if it's scary. It's okay to be scared. Thank you, Dixie. Thank you.